0: So last year, February, in the thick of winters in Ladakh, the rivers are all frozen, there's ice on the road. We just took the chance and we just drove and we went and we kept asking people where we could find, uh, you know, where we could find the nomads. And we finally reached a spot where we were told just, you know, about 10 miles from here, you can find, you know, a group of nomads who come there. And I went there, and uh, yeah, we got off the car, came out, it's freezing cold, it was, uh, I think, below minus 20 degrees, but what I saw there was just, just incredible, the colors of the landscape, and then these goats, you know, they just move in a sort of rhythm, and then you're just like, oh my gosh, this is real, you know, I just, it was surreal, it was, Beyond what I imagined, that was the time I just knew I have to tell this story. Yes, this is like a calling. Welcome to the Postcard
1: Travel Show, your invitation to join intimate conversations with some of the most extraordinary travel designers from around the globe. I'm Elizabeth Drolet, a former broadcast reporter turned digital producer. Shoba George is the founding director of a responsible tourism company called The Extra Mile. The Extra Mile turns time into moments. It is no surprise that Shoba's company specializes in a more intimate experience, as her presence alone was as warm and inviting as a cozy couch nestled by an open fire. Shoba has a long history in the tourism business as she comes from a large, close-knit family that pioneered responsible tourism in India and inspired the values of connection and kindness that run her business today. From detailed stories of dining with royalty to unforgettable experiences with the Pashmina goats, Shoba does an excellent job of showing the heartbeat of how she creates experiences that turn ordinary time into extraordinary moments. Shoba, where are you joining us today from?
0: Hey, hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me today. I'm joining in from Pune, which is in uh, Western India, and it's about 7.30 p.m. right now.
1: As I'm joining you from the States in North Carolina. So cool that we get to connect today. Shoba. I'm so excited to talk about The Extra Mile. It's such an incredible company. Uh, thank you again for joining us today. So how did you think of the name, The Extra Mile?
0: Elizabeth, the name came very naturally because from the inception of the company, our focus was trying to go to the ends of the earth to find a little piece of heaven. And uh, this has evolved. For us, it was always about really getting into deep research, finding the right people so that my traveler gets to experience a destination in ways that he couldn't imagine before, and thereby it becomes an experience which is a very high impact on their emotion when they travel. But today, with time, I take that extra mile beyond what I do for my clients or my travelers. For me, it's also about how I go the extra mile for my host and the land and the people there, and how I go the extra mile to make sure that I'm a true friend to the land and people of this destination that we visit.
1: I think that's an excellent name for your business. You really do go the extra mile, and we're going to talk all about that today. Responsible tourism is actually a family business. Can
0: you talk more about that? While I didn't start my career in tourism, But um, my family has been absolute pioneers in experiential travel, as well as pioneers in responsible tourism in India. And this was from about, let's say, 30 years ago. I grew up listening to certain things which just talked about, uh, you know, connecting with the local community and talking about being responsible about consumption, being responsible about how the waste is managed, being responsible about recycling water and being uh, sensitive to the ecosystem or not trying to contrive and create a a new experience for a destination, but rather enjoying the destination for its real authenticity. So I've really grown up. These were dining table conversations all the time. And so when I started my travel company, this came naturally to me. So I just thought this is the only way to travel. I mean, why would one think about traveling any other way?
1: I love the idea when you said, you know, these were dining room conversations. It's such a a concept that we can all grasp onto no matter where we're from. And so uh, tell me more about where you grew up and how your family has influenced your values today and how you run your business.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in the southernmost tip of India, the state called Kerala. And um, yeah, I I come from a very large family and a very close-knit family uh, with a strong uh, matriarch who sort of, you know, it takes a lot to run a plantation house. You know, there's so many things to look into with so many children, so many grandchildren. And um, I grew up with listening to folklores, uh, being out in the plantation. And for me, honestly, I, I don't think growing up I needed to go anywhere else for a holiday. But being with my cousins and my extended family was just lots of fun and um you know you sort of learn to uh, share learn to be with people learn to so I, I don't know i've i just love being with people and i think somehow uh, all this has really affected the way i uh, look at the way i run business also it's all about people connect and uh, everything for me i don't think anything works without people and the kindness of people that you experience And that really makes a travel experience even better. So I feel happiest when I've uh, been in a destination and I connect with many people and uh, they are the ones who are going to show you the destination. So that they are the ones who actually make my travelers feel special and make those travel experiences really unique. So, yeah, this was, I guess, all your growing up uh, experiences really uh, filter into something that you become at the end of the day and the way you run your business, yeah.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Shabba, what does transformational travel mean to you?
0: Uh, So for me, transformational travel, I'll give you a small example of uh, what I can recollect from a very recent past. So I had travelers from last year who went on my tour. Something that we do with all our travelers is we just tell them, please carry your own water bottle uh now we are a luxury travel company and sometimes uh one wonders why they are being asked to carry their water bottle when you know but i sort of try and tell them why you need to carry a water bottle and especially in traveling uh today uh these were travel that happen in very eco-sensitive region like ladakh and uh When this was over, I remember one of the feedbacks I got from my travelers was I just never realized how easy it was to travel without buying water bottles and how that really makes an impact because uh, I think that sort of made them change in a small way in how they would look at travel in the future. I've had people who've told me how. They wish to ensure and to tell their fellow travelers or their friends to be more mindful about these kind of concepts. So I think in these small ways, I feel that has really been the kind of transformation that I have seen in myself that somehow when we share that with a traveler and that trickle effect is what I would call as transformational travel. But that is one side of it, but there are also the other transformational travel where uh, you as a person sort of uh, feel a change. Like I've had a traveler who went for the first time, was visiting an island called Andamans and he wanted to just be a tourist. But when we told them uh, to go and really see the underwaters and do a diving course before you go for it. It changed the person he is today. He gave up his IT job to become a full-time conservationist. And that's what he's doing for a living now. I mean, you know, he's uh, it it changed the way he looked at things. But this was, again, because of the kind of people he traveled with who told them the stories of the destruction that was happening in the uh, marine life and the coral reefs. And he really changed. So that is transformational travel for me. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Uh, on that note, a uh, beautiful example of how storytelling can change someone's life, which leads us to the Pajmina Trail, which is your featured story on the Postcard Stories site, it has a fascinating background story. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that?
0: So, Elizabeth, it's really interesting because it's said that, uh, you know, the Pashmina, one Pashmina shawl reached Napoleon Bonaparte while he was in Egypt, So it had traveled all the way from Kashmir and uh, with the traders had reached Egypt. He took it back to France for his as a gift for his wife, which initially she didn't like it. She thought it was too thick. But later, she's supposed to have had a humongous collection of pashmina shawls and uh, and in the uh, in the high society of uh, europe it st- it was one of the things that every aristocratic woman had to have and it was a statement piece so this is how popular pashmina uh, shawls were And before that, even the Mughal courts always had it. It was what they flaunted their wealth with, you know, it is like what a Louis Vuitton does as a fashion statement. That's what Pashmina shawls were all about. But if I have to tell you a little more about the story behind this Pashmina, everyone knows of the Kashmir, uh, which is actually a name derived from Kashmir, where all the weaving is done, but it actually starts from Changtang, which is uh, the extension of the Tibetan Plateau into India. And this is in Ladakh. And uh, Changtang is at about 15,000 feet above sea level. And there are the pastoral uh, nomads called the Changpas. And for centuries, they've been leading this nomadic life. With their uh, livestock, which includes the changras or the pashmina goats, the yaks and the sheep. They actually migrate between 8 to 11 times in a year to with their livestock based on the kind of pastures that's available. Or the, you know, if the water finishes or the pastures finish, they move to the next pastoral grounds. And... Um, in the winter months, it's supposed to be one of the most inhabitable uh, places on earth, it reaches almost minus 50 degrees. And remember, these are nomads, they don't have permanent settlements, they have semi-permanent settlements. And at minus 50 degrees is when these changras or the pashmina goats grow this fine inner growth, this fine fiber and uh, to, keep, to protect themselves. Come spring, this fiber falls because they shed this fiber and Changpas or the nomads, they comb it out. And that is what the Pashmina fiber is. And it takes almost uh, three Pashmina goats to give you enough fiber for one Pashmina shawl. So you can imagine what it takes. And why the value of this Pashmina is so high, because this is the hardship that goes through before this comes out as this gorgeous shawl, which is quite light, but yet very warm. So, yeah, this is the real story of Pashmina.
1: (laughs) There's a personal story to it as well, where you came across these goats and they just they you had your own transformational experience. And that's kind of the inspiration behind how the Pashmina Trail came to be. Can you talk more about that?
0: Absolutely. That was a real transformational moment for me to take it a couple of years before that. I'd actually heard about uh, the nomads. Somebody had told me while I was planning a tour in Ladakh, somebody told me about How there are these nomads with the Pashmina goats. And uh, somehow that just stuck with me. And I just imagined it to be like this stark landscape, harsh landscape with uh, these women in these thick capes uh, walking with their goats. Maybe one of them holding a a little kid in her hand. And this was just this is the image that stuck with me. And um, when the uh, pandemic happened and... You know, travel came to a pause, it gave me time to actually bring out those notes and start thinking about creating the tour that I'd always wanted to create. I didn't have a clue where that was going to take me. So last year, February, in the thick of winters in Ladakh, I got a chance to go to Ladakh and the rivers are all frozen, there's ice on the road and we had this four-wheel drive and we went in To find the nomads So nobody knows because the passes are shut You know, there are these passes you have to cross to get there But during the winters, many of those are shut But yeah, we just took the chance and we just drove And we went and we kept asking people where we could find, uh, you know Where we could find the nomads And we finally reached a spot where we were told just, you know About 10 miles from here, you can find, you know A group of nomads who come there and i went there and we first passed the settlement there are these um, tibetan mastiffs these huge dogs you know they're guarding the um, they're guarding the settlement you you know we drove past that uh, my friend urgen is with me he speaks uh, you know he's a ladaki and he can speak their language uh, he takes directions and he finally gets us to a point where we can spot like you know we can spot these uh, goats at a distance and uh yeah, we got off the car, came out. It's freezing cold. It was uh, I think below minus twenty degree, and the wind factor, I don't think I've really experienced that kind of cold from a tropical, you know, <laughs> coastal uh, no, not so coastal, but from a tropical temperature, this was seriously cold. But what I saw there was just just incredible, the colors of the landscape. And then these goats, you know, they just move in a sort of rhythm. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, this is real. I just pulled out my gloves and started taking pictures and I could just feel my hands freezing. You know, I just, it was surreal. It was beyond what I imagined what I'm going to see. And uh, yeah, that was the time I just knew I have to tell this story. It was um It just, I just knew, yes, this is like a calling, you know. So, yeah.
1: I think you've said that you almost felt it like it was destiny.
0: Absolutely, Elizabeth. Yeah, really. I just felt like I I was called to be there at that point. And I just felt really thankful uh, to the universe to have brought me there and to allow me to go through that experience because it was so beautiful. Yeah. And uh, that was so there's no turning back after that. Yeah, there
1: is no turning back. So you have this incredible transformational experience out there and you are just the lady to have this kind of experience because then you take it and then you apply it to this incredible business that you have. So tell us more what the
0: tour looks like. OK, so for instance, one of the things we do uh, is an immersive experience with the the Changpas or the nomads who have the livestock, we actually uh, go to Changtang and we camp over there with them. That is one of the closest connect you have with the Changpa community. And you actually see what happens there and you're at a very high altitude. You realize life is not easy here, but you're there for one day and uh, you can't even you're not even going to make an attempt to run there because you're going to get breathless and all of that. But it is beautiful and you sort of uh, see their life. That is one of the experiences. But another to continue that Pashmina experience itself, we also do a workshop with this uh, company called Lena Ladakh, which is a women's group. And we do a, a weaving and a dyeing workshop where you sort of use your hands and you're really by the end of it you've actually created a little tapestry which you take back as a uh, as your souvenir which is what you have done you've dyed the yarn you've uh, woven your little tapestry and then you're taking it back so that's really the pashmina uh, hands-on experience you haven't even told us
1: all the incredible parts of this this tour I think you mentioned before a uh, really special story about uh, the opportunity to actually meet royalty of this culture and have dinner with them, which is by definition, a once in a lifetime experience.
0: I would call that. Yes, I would say it's definitely a once in a lifetime experience, because again, like I mentioned, why did we include this is because it's a living heritage again. And uh, so the Namgyal dynasty has been the oldest dynasty in Ladakh. And uh, there is a beautiful Stoke Palace. While the king of Ladakh doesn't hold any power in terms of the governance. But uh, He has many stories to share with you, and it is uh, it's incredible to sit in the palace and in a palace which is very different, which is very, you know, very traditional construction tradition, very deep rooted in in all the traditions of Ladakh. You get to be there in that space and share the space with a king who has so many stories to tell you, not just about the history. But also his views on how things are changing and how he wishes he could uh, tell people uh, how to be more mindful, what it takes, but you know his you know what? What he has to share. So it's an incredibly engaging conversation you have, and you have your your dinner served from the royal cuisine, and King's son himself is a is passed out from uh, Cordon Bleu in in Paris. So uh, he's he he loves to bring in his uh, new uh, expertise in uh, creating interesting cuisine based on Ladakhi ingredients and the cuisine. So. It's overall like a lovely mix of uh, old and new and uh, seeing what Ladakh was and where Ladakh is going. Yeah. It's an incredibly
1: intimate experience. How big is a typical tour in size? Is it like you said, seven to 12 people?
0: Yeah, we ideally look at uh, between eight to 12 people because it's also based on the uh, the hotels we've chosen. So Elizabeth, I want to tell you how we've actually chosen the hotels because um It's very important for me to share that since this tour is based on two very important things. One is all of the stories I already shared, but behind this is the fact that one of the guiding principles of our company is low impact on the environment and high impact on the local economy. And so one of the things we do about uh, making sure of the low impact on the uh, environment is uh, choosing hotels that follow very strong uh, principles of environment friendly practices and also hotels that uh, follow very traditional construction methods and things like that. So. Based on that, we've chosen certain hotels and, you know, we try and choose hotels which are in a apricot orchard or by a lovely, you know, which are very scenic in location, but very mindful of the way it's constructed. And you really experience Ladakh every moment of the time you are in Ladakh. You know, it's not just any other hotel. So we've been very mindful on that as well. Yeah.
1: And what does that mean? You really experience Ladakh while you're there?
0: So I'd like to say that uh, the traveler doesn't feel like uh, they're a spectator. They're a part of the whole thing. You know, they're not just watching everything, but they're engaged in many ways. Like, for example, like I said, literally from the way you, the place you stay, it's uh, the, you know, the authentic and the traditional Ladakhi construction is rammed earth. And that sort of uh, makes sure that the, you know, it protects you uh, from the very cold or the very warm weather. It takes care of that, which means, uh, you know, it is the natural uh, way that Ladakhis figured out how to save energy. So these are the things that you live and you're subconsciously realizing, oh, this is how they live and there's a purpose behind it. So you're not an outsider, you're just really living how the Ladakhis lived and how their philosophy and how their close connect with Earth as a community, they were, they were a very mindful community and how uh, they had devised their ways uh, with to ensure that their limited resources are optimized. So that's how, I mean, you could be there in the summer, but you realize, yeah, there's a reason why it's built like this, because in the winters, It's going to be freezing cold and the waters are, you know, the taps are going to freeze out and there's no water going to come. And uh, one really experiences that. And again, the food, we take you deep into the food experience, like, you know, what are the real, there are some fabulous uh, berries and, uh, you know, things like that, which are uh, indigenous of Ladakh and uh, which become an important part of their diet, which keeps them very healthy. And while you're there, if you eat like the Ladakhi's eat, you know you'll feel good. You'll feel well. You're not going to fall sick. So we try and make sure that a maximum food experience is also Ladakhi. And there are some fabulous storytellers. We have passionate foodies who bring that to the table. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I love love all that. I I I lived in Italy for about six months and learned. The, the importance of food. that was my greatest takeaway was just the treasure of um, how local c- cuisine can can transport you to that culture and really really make you just as you're describing not not an observer, but a participant in their way of life. Tell me, you have some amazing foodie stories on the postcard website right now, but let's let's talk a little bit more about the sensory experience that is offered through the food of the land.
0: Okay, so uh, I have this wonderful partner. She's, I mean, any partner is a dear friend now. They're almost family. I, I love to say that. So Kunzes, She's a passionate foodie and she has really studied the ingredients, the local, uh, locally available ingredients, as well as those that came in during the silk route trade. So while many of the spices never came, uh, was never part of Ladakh's cuisine, many of that came. Like, for example, uh, you know, they have this lovely dish called uh, Yarkhandi Pula. It came from Yarkhand, from Central Asia. And it's flavorful. It's 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 fabulous. But it is not. It is something that a uh, Ladaki family would prepare for a very special occasion. And there are a lot of these um, herbs and uh, cheeses that they use, which are used usually over the winter, uh, over the summer months. They collect and they sun dry or uh, shade dry it and store it. And they use it for the winters. So a lot of those elements, you sort of taste how those are being used. You know, they use uh, dried yak cheese as a part of a nettle soup, which is so incredibly unique and yet so tasty. And how they bring these simple, you know, you have to remember Ladakh is a desert and most part of Ladakh has only one round of harvest. It's not that they round the year, they have many harvests. So there's one harvest and they save a lot of it for the, you know, for the winter months. So how creatively They've brought all that together is, yeah, is something that one has to be there to experience. And someone like Kunzez really brings it out to the table and tells you the story.
1: Um, on the postcard site right now, in your featured story about some, this particular story, you have a quote by Anthony Bourdain that says, you have to be a romantic to invest yourself, your money and your time in cheese. And I love that quote.
0: absolutely absolutely because yeah you've just got to spend your time and money on certain food experience because it's just worth it
1: a hundred percent um i i love this this everything that you're talking about because it's it's so true and so accurate to the the human experience in uh in really tasting culture another story that i was particularly entranced by was the praying with the monks it's also located on the postcard site tell me more about this
0: okay elizabeth i yeah i love this story so it's a it's one of those experiences where we have to wake up everyone like at uh, 4 4 in the morning because we want to be there Before the sunrise, I'll tell you why, because to get to the uh, to the top of the monastery is like about a hundred odd steps and uh, every single step is an effort when you're in Ladakh. So you want to give yourself about half an hour to get there after the drive. So this is actually a very, very old tradition. So they have, in fact, what they use, the conch and the and the trumpet that they use is is one of those that they've been using for, I think, a couple of centuries. So they blow that conch at uh, at a particular time. So in the summer months, it's, it's at about 6 a.m. And in the winter months, it's later. So this is on the terrace. And when they blow the conch, you can actually look down. And the monastery is like... You can just look down into the monastery and you can see these little heads coming out, you know, and these are the young novices who are just running. I mean, imagine it's six o'clock in the morning and these uh, the youngest um, uh, novice can be as young as... Uh, Six or seven years old, you know, they're running out and trying to get to the prayer room. And then from there, we go into the prayer room and uh, everyone's seated. There's a chanting going on. In the middle of the chanting, you can see the kids, these little novices, jump out of uh, their uh, seats. And because they're all very enthusiastic about save, uh, serving the uh, barley p- porridge uh, with a Uh, buttermilk, Uh, sorry, the butter tea. So they're all enthusiastic about doing all that because, I mean, you can imagine these are kids and uh, I would imagine they might be falling asleep. But I think it's very sensitive, the whole space. So that's what that's what I related to. For some of them, I'm sure it can be a very meditative experience. But for me, I think I was more engaged in just watching this very sensitive uh, scene that was Playing in front of me, in what should be a very solemn experience, um, there are these young kids who are allowed to be kids. So it, it, I think it's a beautiful experience, and it's early in the morning. And I mean, I have to add that the uh, the scenery around is just stunning, and the whole thing is um, something that you must participate to really know what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was probably a, a surprising observation to see like that uh, kids being able to be kids. But when you think about it, like there's so much joy with that, right? And so maybe that's an indicator of that culture as well. What has been the feedback from these experiences?
0: Yeah, so so here's one of the other transformational experience I want to share with you. So some of our clients, have, uh, travelers have actually come back after being in Changthang. And uh, listening to the stories of the people and hearing more about how, you know, slowly many of the changpas, the new generation, the younger generation are all leaving the nomadic lifestyle because the hardship, because of the hardship. And they probably want to come into a town and get into maybe becoming drivers or getting into construction work or any such thing because they think that might be a better life. And even parents feel they want to bring their children into town and give them a better education so that they may not want to do this. But it is a living living heritage and a very important part of Ladakh. So uh, some of my uh, travelers, they felt they were so moved by seeing the whole thing. So we're trying to work with the schools there and... uh, see how we can help. We've been in conversation with other organizations to see how best we can tell this story, tell this Pashmina story so that more and more people really realize that it's like, you know, a vineyard in France. I mean, or let's say in Champagne, uh, the, you know, the makers of wine are very proud of what they do. So so shouldn't the Changpas be about what they do because they make one of the most coveted fiber in the world. I love that. That's
1: a good analogy with the champagne in France and in this particular culture.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, there's been a lot of strong feeling about how, uh, you know, people want to come together to help share the story or help in any other way that can. Uh, be non-intrusive yet can make a difference so that is where I think the tour is moving towards that now Elizabeth and uh, so another element of I I have to add to you uh, at about the tour is it is a limited edition tour so what does that
1: mean a limited edition tour
0: uh so only you know we have uh, put a bar to how many people can take this tour it's more than anything else it's because the Changtung region is the pastoral grounds for the sh- for the goats and the livestock and we want to make sure that it is we don't go beyond the carrying capacity of that land in fact not even go close to uh, being on a border with the carrying capacity we want to make sure that like a good guest we come there you know few travelers get to go there in a year and leave the land without uh, disturbing the land in any way possible so for that reason i mean the only way we could do it is to make sure the numbers are limited and um, yeah such a beautiful um the whole idea of
1: this being such a it's a limited edition tour in this incredibly life-changing land, amazing stuff. Well, Shoba, is there anything else
0: you would like to add? Uh, yeah, I think uh, if I were to conclude, I think I want to just say that uh, the tour is more than... So it's gone It's gone beyond Pashmina Trail for me uh, because like I said, I, th- I think it's invoked a lot of sense of responsibility to really shout out the story of the Pashmina economy in Ladakh. You know, that will continue to be a, a big part of this tour. Uh, Just uh, since my last tour till now, I've had so many more people from Ladakh call me or people connecting me with new people who want to very proudly share new experiences, experiences that I'd never heard about. So, I think this tour will continue to organically uh, grow, to bring many, many Ladakhis together, uh, to share some uh, less told stories. And uh, yeah, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. So it's not going to be a repetition of what I did last year. It's evolving. The tour is evolving. Yeah.
1: About Shoba and her incredible tours at postcard.travels forward slash the extra mile. Also, please visit her postcard album where you can read more about all her legendary stories and schedule your own call with Shoba to learn how you can take your own extra mile tour. Thank you so much for joining us, Shoba. It's truly been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: If you have liked what you've heard today, please like, review, and or subscribe to the Postcard Travel Show, available on your favorite podcast platform. Travel far enough, and you might just meet yourself. I'm your host, Elizabeth Jolette. Thank you so much for listening, and safe journeys. Find more information at postcard.travel.